I'm Bethany Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. In our latest episode, SoulMusic.com founder David Nathan and longtime SoulMusic.com colleague and music industry veteran Michael Lewis, who has worked with a number of major record labels including The Face, Motown and Sony Music, talk about the classic album Stomping at the Savoy Live. The 1983 final LP by Rufus and Shaka Khan. David and Michael share about the dynamic onstage energy of the group, reprising their groundbreaking hits of the 70s, as well as the studio recordings that comprise side four, including the timeless global anthem, Ain't Nobody. Without further ado, let's join David and Michael to talk Rufus and Shaka Khan. Michael, I know that we're going to be talking today about one of your favorite subjects and uh, <laughs> certainly uh, an artist and, and group that I uh, have known for quite a while in terms of my journalistic career interviewing going way back to 1974. And the subject, our subject today is the uh, final album by uh, Rufus uh, and Shaka Khan, which is uh, Something at the Savoy. And... Um, it was quite a, as you know, quite a memorable event in terms of mostly being a live album with some studio tracks, one of which, as we know, was a massive global hit, Ain't Nobody. So I'm coming to you to ask you as a someone who has um, followed Rufus and Shaka Khan, I, I, I wouldn't say, since, I don't know, since the beginning, so I'll let you tell, tell us, it, is that true? You, did you begin, begin listening to the group at the very beginning of their career? I mostly, well, I remember the first album. I remember hearing Whoever's Thrilling You Is Killing Me. I was kind of young then. I think I probably plugged in more around the time of um, the Sweet Thing album, as far as my own personal. Of course, I went back and listened to everything else before that. But um, yeah, so, and, and again, I was kind of young to be able to see them live. So I, I saw them once live uh, in the late 70s. But um, so, of course, when this record came out, it was it was it was really nice to be able to get a live Rufus performance recorded, you know, because, you know, in the 70s, we had Earthland Fires live albums, um, Marvin Gaye's live, uh, the Commodores did a live set. But Rufus didn't do a live album until this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, it was their last album together. But um, I was really happy that it happened that way. And when you heard it, do you, do you remember the first time you heard it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was great. You know, it was just to hear that the energy was great. The, the, the band, the, the, uh, the extra, the side players that were there, the, the horn section included, um, great singers. It was just, a, it was a, it was an exciting, um, exciting performance, you know, and it's good to have that, have that documented recorded. You know, I, I was, I was really happy. I'm not sure if people know much about the backs. I mean, I'm sure uh, fervent uh, Shaka Khan and and Rufus fans probably do know a little bit about the backdrop to how that album came about. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a little research myself because I recall vividly uh, doing an interview with um, with Rufus. Well, it was originally just Rufus doing the interview, members of the group doing the interview with me. Mm-hmm. And then um, famously, which we will talk about in a moment, uh, we were interrupted 
by the late arrival of Shaka Khan into the room. Um, but the, what I remember about it is that at that point, you know, it was, it was the, we were talking about the album Master Jam. And of course, by then, uh, uh, Shaka had already made uh, at least one, if not two, solo albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, although sh- the whole conversation was about that this is not the end of Rufus, but of course, it kind of was, given the way our career was at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about. We can talk about the songs on there, but I'd like to talk to you a little, uh, you know, some more about Rufus the the band. I mean, I know yeah, yeah. Um, most people associate Rufus with the with Shaka as the lead singer, but Shaka Khan's band. I mean, these guys were were, were phenomenal musicians. Um, Kevin Murphy, the keyboard player, uh, was there from the very beginning, um, from the, the first album. I think that originally they were called Ask Rufus. At one point, at the very beginning, um, and he's he's the player who was there on the first album. Um, Bobby and Tony came in on the, um, I guess the uh, Rags and Rufus album, um, and at that point, Andre Fisher was the uh, the, the drummer, phenomenal phenomenal drummer. Oh my God! When you listen to those early records, Andre just <laughs> he he does things on the drums that are just mind blowing, you know. Um, and then um, let's see. They had a, a, a different drummer on um, Street Player, Moon, and then John Robinson came in. Um, he joined the band during uh, Numbers, which was the the first album that Rufus the, the group did on their own without Shaka. That's where he came in, and then of course he's playing on uh, Master Jam, um, Camouflage, and and this. Um, Something else, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, as you were talking, it, it took me back to a uh, very memorable um, uh, concert that I saw, and I, it was uh, the time I was living in New York and writing for Blues and Soul. Um, and uh, for those who may not know, Blues and Soul was a British publication, and I was the U.S. correspondent editor at some point. And I don't remember where the concert was. It was not in New York. It was somewhere on the road, um, and it was a date that Rufus and Shaka, the, the group, Rufus and mm-hmm. Shaka, Shaka Khan, uh, was doing with uh, Heat Wave was on the bill. And I can't remember who else was on the bill, but what the memory, <laughs> it's funny how certain memories stay stay with us for like seemingly forever. So in, I got there because I was covering it, for uh, Blues and Soul as a concert. I don't know if I was doing interviews with anyone and I already knew the guys from Heatwave from London because uh-huh. although Heatwave was an international group, they were really based in London. And um, But what I remember is uh, in between the sound check and preparing for the sh- you know, between the sound check and preparing for the show, everyone had some time off. And I ended up playing backgammon. <laughs> what? <laughs> Because <laughs> backgammon was my game of the day. Back All right, everybody, everybody played backgammon back then. Yeah, <laughs> and I can't remember if it was with. I think it was with Bobby Watson. I can't. I, I, I can't my memory. I can't remember if it was Tony Maiden or Bobby Watson. I can't. I think it was Bobby. Um, because we just wanted, you know, kill time. I mean, there was nothing I could. There's nowhere for me to go. I wasn't, you know, a part of the show, so I was reviewing it. But what I, what I remember. 
apart from playing backgammon, I, I think I think I probably lost. Mm. But anyway, so oh. well, it might have been Tony. Who knows who it was? But anyway, uh. one of the two. But one of the things that I remember, because you know, I did get the opportunity to see a few Rufus and Shaka shows over the years, is the the musicianship. Mm-hmm. You know the kind the, the the you know I think I think you made a reference to that, or I certainly know people have made a reference considering Rufus as a as like almost Shaka's band rather than it's a whole unit. Right, right, right. One didn't really work without the other at, at the, in the early part of their careers, you know, mid to late seven, mid seventies, I'd say. Uh, but what I was always struck by was how in sync they were, uh, and also how um, just as musicians they were just really funky and really, yeah. I mean, they were like wow. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about stomping at the Savoy from that standpoint. When, when you listen to it then, and and if you've had a chance, I, I assume listen to it subsequently. You know, what, what what strikes you about the the musicianship on there? Um, just that. The, the, I mean, the, the the very tight, the funkiness. Um, Tony's a, an amazing guitarist. Um, um, he, you know what, what he does is, is 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 unbounded. He can he can do anything, and and as a singer, you know he duets with Shock on a couple of songs on Stop On By, and um, also they do um, Ain't That Peculiar, which is really a lot of fun um, uh, when they do that that song together on the on the on the live recording, you know. And I mean, uh, once again, Kevin and Hawk keyboard keyboard players. When you listen to the the what's going on on this in this live recording is is so full, so much happening, and uh, it's just it's just a really really intense performance that they got on got on the record. You know, I love that. Joe, mm. I know we're going to talk more about some of the specific songs, but you off the top, do you have a particular favorite from the live portion of the album? Um, I like I really really like "Stop on By." I love Stop On By. I love what they did on that. Um, yeah. I, and I guess it's because it's one of my favorite songs of theirs. And I, I just think that's a really good um, uh, good track on there. Stay is really good. I love that also. And of course, that, that Shaka added that onto her um, Epiphany, Greatest Hits album. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a standout track. Um, Sweet Thing, you know, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just the the the, the fire, and you know, once you get started, I mean, you know, everything is happening on that. It's it's a great, it's a great song. Yeah, I was gonna say about about um um uh stop uh about stop on by was it stop on by no that what was the other one you mentioned before that um was it stop on by stop on by yeah. 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 yeah which one was the one written by Bobby Womack stop was on it by. yeah stop. yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if people are aware that there's a Bobby Womack version that pre uh, it predated the 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 Rufus version. Yeah. Did you did you know about the Bobby Womack? Oh, yeah. version? Rufus did a lot. They did a lot of covers over the, over the years. You know, they did. Yeah. They even did Jive Talking. Remember that? <laughs> yes, yes, I, yes. Bee Gees Jive Talking. Yeah, I do remember it. And, and you know, it's interesting. You mentioned ain't that peculiar. And I kind of forgot that that was on this album. I mean, kind of because it wasn't part of their regular repertoire. Right. And I'm sorry, I wonder. I wonder why they. Well, oh, yeah, I wonder about that too. I mean, how did they? How did they? Of all the songs, they could have. Uh, they could have uh, 
jumped on, you know, or, or yeah. recorded, selected. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It would be interesting to, to know what the uh, the uh, the background, how they came to to pick that one. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, also in that live album is, um, you know, one of the Shaka Khan um, at that time. In fact, I think I'm correct in saying that uh, what you're going to do for me was, uh, of course, the title of her third album. Right, right. Solo album. Yeah, um, I, think, I think it had just come out just before that, just before right. this, this yeah. concert. Yeah, so she was promoting it, smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, what I was surprised about, though, uh, is that it doesn't have I'm Every Woman on it, because I would thought if they were going to pick a Shaka track to do live, they would have picked that, but... Well, I no, guess. I think because... Um, what you're going to do for me is more of a band song, you know, than I'm Every Woman, you know, in the recording of that is mostly like strings and, you know, what you're going to do for me, that's the, because it wasn't, that was written by Hamish Stewart. Yeah. Average white band. Yeah. It has that band feel, you know, <laughs> and, and and if I, I need to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that uh, that the most of that album, if not all of it, what you're going to do for me? We're kind of sidetracking slightly there. Uh, was recorded at, uh, in Montreux, Switzerland. Oh, uh, right. that's right. With Arif Martin as the producer, who of course was uh, Shaka's producer for much of her period of time with Warner Brothers as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. And um, Steve Ferron from the Average White Band also was on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but we digress slightly there. But, but I love, I love that 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 was included uh, mm-hmm. on there. And then, um, of course, we sh- we should also talk about the, some of the solo recordings that were studio recordings that were added on as a fourth side to what was back then a two albums, two LP set. Mm-hmm. We of course are talking prior to the world of CDs, so sure. it was a double album. Um, and I, I don't know that uh, when they recorded the studio portion uh, that um, anyone thought that Ain't Nobody would become... The hit that it was? It would become like the most classic. It would become like this timeless, you know, evergreen, yeah. dance, pop, R&B global anthem and it's funny you know when i ask people of a different generation um you know if if they're familiar with shaka khan they usually only remember they, they associate that as a, as a as a shaka khan song ain't nobody and of course i'm every woman but it's really and, and i feel for you so those are the three that people of, of other generations kind of relate to uh, relate to Shaka Khan, but of course, Ain't Nobody's actually a Rufus in Shaka Khan record. It is, it is. And it was written by um, Paul Walensky, mm-hmm. who wrote a lot of, he, he wrote, once he joined the group, He he's an amazing songwriter. He wrote, um, oh my God, he wrote um, Street Player, mm-hmm. song Street Player. He wrote Blue Love on that record. He wrote um, Any Love on the Master Jam record and yeah. What You Feel. He wrote that all. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's, that guy is an amazing uh, songwriter. And I think he co-wrote, or wrote, we have to look at the ch- credits, uh, Egyptian song. Um, I, I, would, I would have to check on that. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I think he did. I was reading, I was actually, I was reading an interview that I did with, uh, with the group. This is not the notorious interview, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Uh, but the, um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think it was in because uh, I know that album came out in 1977. Mm-hmm. And um, let me see if I can. Uh, crib a little bit and see if I can find it while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I think here it is. Let's see. Talks about Egyptian song, which is not on this album, but obviously it's focused on. Yeah. It's actually uh Shaka wrote it with Dave, David Hawk Wolinski. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So a piece of trivia there. But anyway, let's get back to let's get back to the point. Uh so ain't nobody when you heard ain't nobody, um as Man. part of that LP, did you think, wow? I mean, what was your reaction to it? The clubs were on fire with that song. I mean, you're talking about everybody's scrambling. When you get hear those first little bubbles come up, everybody just running to the dance floor. And, and, and I mean, even to this day, I, 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 if you put that on, the same thing's going to happen. Nothing's changed with that song. Nothing's yeah. always changed with that record. It's... it's is just as fresh and exciting right now when you hear it is. And Ain't Nobody is so great that I've heard other people close their show with Ain't Nobody. Wait, who? Peebo Bryson. Oh, wow. Okay. Concert, and that was his like encore song because he knew the crowd was going to get up and dance. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's, else? there's a great version of George Michael singing Ain't Nobody. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting, and Shaka has to do it. Too. I mean, you know, to this day, I mean, it's a bit difficult to know what to close with because I guess she has choices of "I'm every uh, I'm every woman" and "I feel for you" is of course in there in, in the repertoire. Yeah. But I think certainly in Britain, whenever uh, Shaka's performed in Britain in the last few oh, years, yeah, end with "Ain't Nobody." Always a yeah. yeah. Let's pause for a quick break. Then we'll return to David Nathan and Michael Lewis as they continue to discuss the classic Stomping at the Savoy Live album by Rufus and Shaka Khan. Out now, saxophonist Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing. Executive produced by George Benson and produced by Preston Glass, Perfect Timing is a current UK soul music radio chart hit, the follow-up to Back to the Sunshine, Jermaine's first UK soul music top 20 single. Check out Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing, out now on Soul Music Records, available on all digital platforms. Uh, but there are some other studio. We want to talk about the studio recordings a little bit. Um, the one in particular that I'd like to focus on, um, knowing of your, in particular, your interest and love for uh, what we call classic jazz vocal vocalists, mm-hmm. uh, is, is "Don't Go to Strangers." Okay. Yes, yes, did, did you know that song before uh, you heard it on on, on the album? Uh, I did not. Savoy. I did not. I wasn't. I wasn't familiar with it uh, until until I heard that. And of course, since then I've heard um, any number of other singers record that because it's it's a it's a standard for sure. But um, the remarkable thing about this version is Joe Sample playing piano on it. His mm. opening notes. Oh my God, Joe Sample is just uh, he's he's a he's a a god of the piano man yeah yeah well you know what's interesting why i found it because that was the first time i really heard 
um, a recording uh, of Shaka that really did um, show her jazz chops, so to speak, or her love for the genre. And actually, what it brought to mind was um, one of the earliest interviews that we did. She and I did a, an interview. Uh, the first interview I did with Shaka Khan was supposed to be a Rufus and Shaka interview, but she was the only one on the phone and was calling from... Um, I was in my little flat in Bayswater in London, and she was in Chicago. Actually, she wasn't in LA when we did the when we did the interview. And um, uh, I don't know if it was on that interview, but it was a sub, the next interview after that was our first one. And the one after that, I think, is where she talked about how much she always, she loved jazz, and she was looking forward to the opportunity at some point to do mm-hmm. more jazz kind of material. And I guess she envisioned that at that point she would be doing it with. Um, with the group because at that point she wasn't having conversations about a solo career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always think of, of don't go to strangers on, on stomping at the Savoy. as kind of like the first opportunity for the whole pup, for the, for the audience, for Rufus and Shaka Khan and general audience to hear uh, something that was, this clearly has still been, still is and has always been dear to her heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to about Shaka and jazz. There was, there was there was a little bit of hint if you think about on the street player album that song um um destiny yeah mm-hmm. that really is it has a jazz strong jazz feel to it with the claire fisher strings and all that it's mm-hmm. a really good um um and i would say even like a song like best of best of best of my heart best of your heart mm-hmm. um, that has some jazz feeling to it and if you look, there's a picture of the um, set list in a stomping at the Savoy. Okay. And we and, bring that up on the screen if we can. <laughs> yeah, there's a picture of the set list and best of your heart is actually on the set list. Really? And, and everlasting love. Mm. Now, everlasting mm. love showed up on a soundtrack of a movie, the night night shift. Yes. Yes. It, it did show up, but that best of best of your heart. I don't know where that song is, and I'm wondering why it didn't come up on uh, when it was reissued. Or I don't know if, it, or maybe it didn't. Maybe they didn't play it. Maybe it was on the set list, but it didn't happen. I don't. Yeah, which is quite possible. I mean, you know, we know that uh, one of the great things about a band. Um, and, and and artists of that time period is that sometimes they would just change things up, mm-hmm. literally. Uh, on stage or you know if there was an intermission they would say well no let's drop this let's do that instead i mean because a lot of it you know what what i really used to love so much about those shows not just rufus and shaka but other other people i would see they would literally um judge the energy of the crowd to choose what to do and Mm -hmm. that was something that was uh because this is long before the days of synthesizers or music that could be augmented to the live performance um and so really it was very much in sync with whatever the energy was of the of the moment so maybe that's what it was i mean you know are there many famous times i can think of where people just change this change their set literally in in the middle of the set i mean change change the sequence of things um which i think is a real as a, a kind of like a lost art now mm-hmm and then when I mentioned the liner notes, one other thing I wanted to to point out in this discussion was um, uh, what a lot of people don't know. There's a Quincy Jones um, passage in the liner notes on here, and he points out that um, 
after, just before he did the um, Master Jam album with Rufus, he recorded uh, Rock With You uh, off right. the Michael Jackson. And the rhythm section on Rock With You was Rufus. It was Bobby Watson. Wow. And um, John Robinson. So, yeah, that, and that's, that's a little known fact. I didn't know. Yeah. I definitely didn't know that. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's it, good that you brought that up because it also um, references the interview that I made an earlier reference to, which I call the infamous uh, Rufus and Shaka interview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and infamous only because it was meant to be a, a, a group with her interview. It was supposed to be all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what I recall is that um, when I walked into this, was, it was in New York, and I was where I lived at the time. And uh, you know, to give some context around it, you know, as as we know that at that point, Shaka had done I think two solo albums, if I'm correct. Um, so that she had done the first one uh, that's self-titled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah. there, and then there was uh, Naughty. It was Naughty. Yeah. So she was two albums in, and most people, I think, uh, said and felt that uh, you know they've already broken up. They felt that the group had already broken up, even though they technically hadn't. And Master Jam was a part of a fulfillment of a contractual obligation, um, and um, it's pretty smart to have done that with Quincy Jones. If you're going to fulfill a contractual obligation, it's mm-hmm. a pretty good idea to. Uh, and the contractual obligation, of course, was Shaka um, as part of her deal of doing solo albums separately, which she still had to fulfill two, um, to, to make two albums with uh, with Rufus. Yeah, yeah, correct. And um, uh, so here we are, and we're sitting there, and we're all ready to go, and, you know, and uh, the members of the group are there. And, of course, I already knew them from having done interviews with them before. And, of course, I mentioned about, you know, See, seeing them at a show on the road somewhere, and uh, and and we it was really supposed to be everybody, and but she wasn't there. So we said, well, well they said, well, let's get. I think it was Kevin actually. He said, well, let's get let's get going, let's get started. So we started, you know, talking about the album and you know how. And she just walked into the room, and uh, in the middle of the interview, and she just started interrupting. Oh yeah. <laughs> she just started interrupting when I would ask a question. She just kind of jump in, and, and 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 you could tell they were not. I think I think the way she described it. I think you t- how does she describe it in the book? In her autobiography, she references the, yeah. references the interview. Um, we have it there. <laughs> she said, um, "At one point, I barged in with, I think art is pure, and I think it's been raked and hoard because of greed and selfishness." People no longer respect music as an art form the way they should. And that, to me, is a real sin. But did she say about how she just jumped into the interview? At, like how, well, how did she characterize the interview itself? Because it was a Rufus and Shaka Khan yeah. interview, really. It says she, uh, she kept pacing back and forth, staring out the window, and literally, literally speaking over band members as I asked questions. It was obvious from the expression on the faces of Murphy and Walensky in particular that all wasn't well in the camp. And that's mm. what, then she wrote, at one point I barged in. 
with that quote about art. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened, Michael. And it was it was difficult. (laughs) They were kind of like two separate orbits, you know? Yeah, yeah, at that point. Yeah, which also, but I'm bringing it up, of course, you know, things happened in between. Obviously, they went off and did another solo album, Rufus, by themselves. Um, And then I think, am I correct that she also did one, she also had one more to do with them uh, as part of a contract, her contract? Yeah. Yeah. So by the time something at the Savoy came out, they were separate entities completely, and, and this, uh, they had to they had to get together to yes. what happened. You know, they had to yes. have some reconciliation. Now, and again, they they did. They got back together in two thousand for a for a tour. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, what, what I was going to point to is that if you listen to Stumping at the Savoy. Uh, it's as if nothing, as if, as if they didn't skip a beat. You know what I'm saying? In other words, even though there were years in between, I mean, because you know that interview you just talked about, Marciam's 1979, and here we are in 1983, mm-hmm. and um, you know, here comes something at the Savoy, and it's as if nothing had happened, not like nothing had happened. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no, it, like, it just sound is kind of tight. It's live, man. It's great. Rufus's greatest hits live. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I was listening to uh, I was listening to some of it earlier, and um, and and the song that most uh, resonates. It's funny you mentioned uh, some of the things that, that songs that you listened to, you know, uh, prior to the live album uh, mm-hmm. that were amongst your Rufus and Shaka favorites, and uh, certainly mine was "Sweet Thing." Mm-hmm. I remember when "Sweet Thing" came out, I mean, the, the studio recording, and. Uh, I won't. I won't. I won't go into the details, but just say that uh, that some of the lyric lines of, of "Sweet Thing" <laughs> applied. <laughs> well, applicable. <laughs> you know, I will love you anyway, even if you cannot stay. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I, I wasn't the only person who related to those words. What, what I love about you know, that we're looking back at that album, it, it really was, uh, in one sense, it's kind of like an end of an era, not just an end of an era for Rufus and Shaka Khan, but an end of an, a particular kind of era of, of, of music that where you had a band and a featured singer that were so in, in sync. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they and they managed to put that together for this for this for this recording, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how great is that? That even though sadly it was their last recording together, mm-hmm. it's a it's a classic piece of history, you know. I'm curious. You mentioned about the touring in 2000. Did you get to see them at all live? I did. I did. Can you comment on that? Because I didn't get to see that. So. It was it was a tight show. It was a lot of fun, you know. And now I, I was hoping that. You know, hoping against hope that somehow, somehow they would manage to pull pull it together. You know, and, and yes. do more than just that one tour together. You know, mm-hmm. it just happened. Now, recently, there there was a talk about a, a, a film being recorded um, of the group. I don't know what happened with that. It's been it's been a couple of years back that I remember seeing 
pictures of them together and somebody was making, somebody was doing a, a Rufus um, documentary. Hmm. I'm not sure what the, what happened with that, if it'll ever come out, uh, but that would be really too interesting to see. Yes. No, well, I, if, if I might quote Wikipedia, not always the most reliable source, but in this, and we don't know how reliable it is because I've certainly never seen this, but to quote uh, that the, um, that, Shaka reunited with the group for what was late to be later released as a documentary film titled Stomping at the Savoy. And um, for whatever reason, uh, the film was not released at the time and only the album came out. Um, and I'm wondering, is that what you're referring to or is this some oh, other? This is, this is a very recent thing. A recent, oh, okay. uh, recent, recent as in like two or three years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, no, I, I wonder what happened to the to the live footage of that, of, of stomping at the Savoy. It would be great no, to see I it. Even, I haven't even, hadn't even heard about that. I okay. didn't there was a live, live version, you know. And is there anything, yeah, I know we've only got a few more minutes, so I'm just curious to, to, to find out from you, um, you know, in regard to Rufus, uh, as uh, actually thinking about this is basically was their swan song. This was the last mm -hmm. recording. Um, do you feel it really captured for those who may not have been, for people who've come subsequently, sub generations who subsequently listened to it, do you think it really captured the essence I of think who it, it was? And also because of the fact that that we don't have bands like that anymore. You know, we, just, we simply don't have bands um, that perform uh, and write together. And uh, it, it just doesn't happen that way, it seems. Mm -hmm. Um, in the 70s, they, they were everywhere, you know. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere there was a band. The Ohio Play yeah. or Lakeside or... Um, Confunction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, it's, a, it's, it's a rarity. So this is kind of like a time capsule. And it was this happened in... It was recorded in 82. It mm -hmm, came out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is, is kind of like a, the end of an era. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is a really great document of it, I think. Yes, uh, there was one other thing I was going to say when you were talking about the end of it, about the the um, about the the group and what they meant. I think one thing that we should also reference is that uh, it was uh, one of a very few internationally famous, well-known groups that whose whose lineup was interracial. That is true. Mm -hmm. That is true. And that sometimes gets missed in because people just talk about the music. And that in in of itself, if we go back, I was trying to think of another another group of that time period that um that was comparable. Can you think of anyone? I cannot. I can't. Yeah, I, I it kind of it's funny. I, I I at the time I remember that was a, a part of the whole thing when you would go see them live when I would go see them live um you know that was noticeable because you know primarily I mean you know I think about the average we mentioned the average white band and well I don't know how average they were but the point being <laughs> that you know it, it I think that also had some elements of of being interracial too I mean Steve Ferran was uh, I think uh as I recall of Caribbean descent mm -hmm. um but the yeah I'm trying to think was there any other group so they were pioneers. So Rufus and Shaka Khan were pioneers in many ways. 
And that's something that I think that's, it's, it's worth bringing to people's attention. That, 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 that was, um, yeah. Um, I said, give me final thoughts about Rufus, the group. Yeah, I've been listening to the Rufus albums lately, and I want to go back and check those out if you haven't, because they are just as fiery without Shaka Khan, believe me. If you are you ready to get a, a little a, a, a blast from the Shaka Shaka fans? That, what do you mean? What do you mean? Everything is there but the hits. You know, I mean, they just maybe they didn't have the 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 the, the right songs, um, but they, the talent, the props, the chops are there in full force. Yeah. And, and when you say that, you're referring to the thing is uh, 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 seal, seal, is it called sealed in red, sealed in uh, red, yeah, and uh, party till you're broke, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I kind of forget about them too. I mean, you're right; they they, they are solid albums. Solid. Um, yeah, um, and you know, I'm going to ask you: Do you have a favorite Rufus and Shaka album? I know that's a hard question. Just one. That's like your like the one uh, for you. Ask Rufus. Okay, well we're we're in accord on that one. Ask Rufus, but I'm telling you, Street Player is right there, neck and neck with it. I mean, yeah. Street Player takes him into a different kind of a, a I don't know. It's a different kind of a sexy groove with Street Player. You know, with mm-hmm. the, your heart mm-hmm. and me and those songs. It's just like a really kind of a yes. Nice groove on those two, but I don't know. Ask Rufus just as a as a whole is just like a collection of just greatness. Brilliant songs, yeah. And you, you know, I, I have two personal favorites. Of one we mentioned, Egyptian song. Uh, well, you know, that's kind of obvious. Oh yeah, <laughs> he says as he holds up his unk. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 fortunately over the years I've had opportunity to talk to Shaka about that, about Egyptian song, and about you know. Our mutual interest in that performance with the roots. She said she has a live performance of Egyptian song that she recorded with the roots. Really? Wow. Mind blowing. Wow. It's the only time I've heard her sing that that live. Hmm. And the other song is Hollywood. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you know why? Do you know why it's a personal favorite of mine? Why did you wait at bus stops all your life? (laughs) <laughs> we'll see for the benefit of those who, are, who, who, who will be watching this in the interest of transparency Michael and I apart from being friends for, for many many years because we met when I lived in LA and, uh, and, and, um, and he knows as do all of my friends who live there that I never drove <laughs> again. you're one of the few people who lived in LA who does not drive that's right you went so, Quincy. <laughs> like Quincy, exactly. Quincy as in Jones. And and you know, um, so when I heard that song, I, I'll never forget, you know, she waited at bus stops so all uh, she's well, it's, it's a you know, it's he, yeah, and the song's he. Uh, he he wait, he's waited at bus stops all his life. What's the next line of the song? He's been in and out of those spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I love that song. Hollywood is really was my experience of what 
of Los Angeles at the contemporaneously because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't living there at that time, but I had lived there for six months in, in 1975. And subsequently, when I went back to live there, you know, that hadn't changed. I was still, I was still on the bus. And, and uh, you know, everything that all the lyrics of that song were as true in 1984 as they were in 1977. Six? Seven. 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 I thought it was seven. There you go. Anyway. So, Mike, I just you know, really want to thank you for taking time today um, to, to talk to to my classic soul and to oh, me about one of our favorite subjects. Yeah. And uh, just really thank you for I, I know I know you're a you're you're a, a, a lifelong Rufus and Shaka uh fan. And so it's really great to get your observations and thoughts about. Uh, one of the one of the most important albums, I would say, of uh, of the of the eighties. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me, David. I appreciate Take it. Take care. Thanks. Right. Thanks, David and Michael. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us for breaking news and daily updates about your favorite soul and R and B artists over at soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.